All right. Good evening, everyone. Let us let us begin. So we're continuing tonight. Mirz Hashem, back to Tehillim. Took a little break for Purim Katan, and now Baruch. Hopefully, everybody had a meaningful and beautiful and uplifting Purim Katan. Now we're back in Tehillim. So we're going, as I mentioned, when we started Capital Ayin Bay seventy-two. This is a very profound capital with a lot of bless you, a lot of dramatic and overwhelming pieces associated with it. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on this particular capital really working through some of the dramatic and overwhelming themes. As we pointed out in the last year, I mean, two shi'urim ago, when we started Capital Ayin Bays, just off the bat, what's unique about this particular capital is kind of how it opens and how it ends, right? Remember again, it opens, l'shlomo, Elohim ishpatech al-melech, ben melech. So it's incredible because this obviously is a capital in which Davon melech is trying to give life advice to his son Shlomo. So that by itself is unique because really up until now, so much of our journey through Sefer Tillam has been, I would say, reflective. Reflective. This is a little bit more prospective. This is David HaMelech trying to highlight the different things that he's learned from it. What does every parent want to do? Every parent wants to take their own life experiences and use them to help their child try to avoid some of the same mistakes that we as parents made and hopefully be successful. Our parents did it for us and we ignored it. Our children, mm-hmm. we do it for our children, they ignore it. But again, such is the cycle of the parent-child dynamic. So, Shlomo, so David HaMelech tries to give, again, this same piece of advice to Shlomo. Of course, that's unique piece number one. Unique piece number two, like I pointed out last time, is the last verse, the last pasuk in the capital, Kalu Tzilos David Ben Yishai. So this this we're going to talk about the Mir Hashem as well. Not now. We're going to get to this in a couple of weeks from now. But this capital itself is the last capital authored by David Amelach. So even though it's number 72 out of 150 chapters of Tehillim, again, the order of Sefer Tehillim, you already know this, is not as David Amelach wrote it, and it's not as David Amelach lived. There's a different order to Sefer Tehillim, which we'll discuss. But this is the last capital authored by David. So it's dramatic on a variety of levels that the last capital authored by David, again, again, is not a reflective or, for that matter, again, retrospective capital, but rather, again, it's a capital for Shlomo, a prospective. Looking forward, my son's about to assume the monarchy. What could I give him in order for him to be successful? Good. So with that, tonight we have a, a modest accomplishment ahead of us. We'll see. Hopefully we'll get through it. One Pasuk. One Pasuk. So take a look at Pasuk Beis. So remember, just keep in mind this entire capital, this is David HaMelech speaking to Shlomo. This is David speaking to Shlomo. So, you know, what, what I always wonder with this capital, you know, it's interesting to note is you often wonder with things like this, did David ever actually say this to Shlomo? Or did he go ahead and simply codify this into Hillem? And Shlomo kind of learned of this after his father's passing. You know, it's, it's one of the most incredibly difficult parts in general of human relationships is the fact that generally we don't end up saying everything we want to say to our loved ones when they're in this world. For a variety of reasons, sometimes we're just a little bit too too afraid or nervous to be too emotive or to be too honest. Sometimes we just assume that we have more time. So there's no, there's no urgency for me to say the things I need to say now. I need to say now. Um, and then we run out of time. You know, I, I, I remember, just I'll tell you, just, uh, so Dr. Manny Sklar, so those of you who know Mrs. Rosalie Sklar, who's a long-time member of the show. So when, when we came to Baltimore, even, even before we moved here, I was coming down looking for a house. My wife was, you know, like 14 months pregnant, so she couldn't, uh, she couldn't, it's a joke. Hey, so, so she couldn't, tough crowd tonight. Okay, so, so she, couldn't, uh, she couldn't make the trip. We were living in New Jersey at that time. So I came, she trusted me, she trusted me, so this is the last thing she trusted me with, to find just like a rental for us to come to in Baltimore. And I was told that Dr. Sklar, who had been a, who had been a long, a past president and a, a pillar of, of the shul here, was very ill. It was a Hopkins. So it was actually my first Beaker Holden visit in Baltimore. It was at Hopkins, then at Sinai, um, before I even officially uh, assumed the position here at the Shul. And it was incredible. I used to visit with him the afterwards, like every Arab Shabbos. And the truth is, he thought I was coming to visit him. But what was really incredible was I got so much out of those visits. He would give me, first of all, he gave me such an incredible amount of like Shul advice. Usually it was make sure to avoid this person, right? You, you want, right? Or make sure this person is in the, he knew the ins and outs of everything. 
And I remember one of the things he told me, it's incredible, one of the things he was always mocked on, he was always careful on, is he said, never go to sleep angry. Never go to sleep angry. He said, you have a falling out, you have a disagreement with your wife, don't go to sleep angry. Disagreement with your kids, don't go to sleep angry. And he said, because you never know, right? People, people allow anger to perpetuate or allow distance to perpetuate because they go, all right, there'll come a time for reconciliation. There'll come a time. But the truth is we know, and especially as we get older, this becomes even more pronounced. Life is fragile. You never know how much time you have in this world. So don't go to sleep angry. Whatever, whatever is out, again, it doesn't mean you have to be everybody's best friend. But whatever you're going to do, again, and obviously there are some relationships that are fractured that we can't do anything about. And there are certain things in a state of disrepair that we don't have power over. That's absolutely true. But the things I do have power over, don't, let the, don't, don't stay angry and don't let the things you need to say remain unsaid. So it's always kind of haunted me a little bit in the capital. You always wonder to yourself, like, did David ever say these things to Shlomo? You know, I remember again, as much as Navi, you know, Chumash is not a storybook. Chumash is not a storybook. Navi is a little bit more of a storybook, but even there, you don't get the full extent of the story, right? There, there are parts there that you're still not sure. So even Navi, where you see the, a little bit of dynamic between David and Shlomo, we actually don't see that much of the relationship dynamic between father and son, between David and Shlomo. We, we really don't. So again, Baruch Hashem, David HaMelech left behind the Sefer Tehillim. So all his, all his son ever needed to do, if he ever wanted to know, what would my father say in this situation? The beauty that Shlomo had, the treasure that Shlomo had, is he could open up a Sefer Tehillim, and Sefer Tehillim sees every single circumstance in life, and he was able to see exactly what his father would have said in any situation in life. So again, the whole capital, the theme of the capital, is advice from father to son. So look at Pasuk Beis. Yodin amcha b'tzedek v'aniyecha b'mishpat. So again, here is, here is David HaMelech imparting advice to Shlomo. What's the advice? Literally translated, may he judge your people justly and your poor people with justice. Okay. So by the way, I'll just point out something very interesting. One of the hallmarks of, of the Davidic monarchy, right? What, if you ask David HaMelech, Right? What was the most important function of a leader? So David Amalek would say the most important function of a leader is to create shalom and orderly society. Right? It's not about it's not about raising taxes and it's not about conquering lands. It's not about doing any of those things. The entirety, the entire essence of a king is to try to ensure that there is shalom within the kingdom, there's shalom between people. And you see this, by the way, you see this, you see this theme in leadership, right? Who was the first leader to really stress this concept that Shalom is the most important job that a leader has to maintain? So the Aaron, right? Like we learned in Pirkei Avos, right? Hillel says, Shalom, Shalom. So Aaron, Aaron promoted a leadership model where the most important thing is keep Shalom within the ranks, which, which makes sense, which makes sense. Why does it make sense? Because if you have Shalom within the ranks of the people, everything else flows from there. You'll have a strong economy if there's shalom. You'll have a strong military if there's shalom. Everything stems, right? Like the Gemara says that shalom, shalom, the concept of peace, shalom is a kli machzik bracha. Shalom is a utensil that houses every other blessing, right? So in other words, Kashmaru could shower blessings upon you if you don't have a utensil to receive it, so the blessings come and go. Shalom is the receptacle that allows you to catch all of the divine providence and hold onto it and utilize it. So you see over here, it's interesting that David says to Shalom, Shalom, when you assume the monarchy, judge your people justly and your poor people with justice. The Radak says in number two, what does this mean? So first of all, it seems a bit redundant, right? In other words, it says, judge your people justly. Just say that. Why do I have to say, judge your people justly, and your poor people with justice as well. What's the pshat? So the Radak says, Do not give favoritism to the rich over the poor. After all, again, you're king, right? You need, you need the wealthy constituents, right? You need them to be behind you. And it's very easy to go ahead and convince yourself 
that you're adjudicating something correctly when you kind of essentially see like a greater good. You know, I need to find in this guy's, he's, he's wrong over here, but he does so much. He helps out so much. He's responsible for so much good. So David HaMelech is saying to Shlomo, stay true, right? Stay true to your morals, to your values, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to Torah. Establish your moral compass and do not go ahead and be swayed by the influence of others. This is another piece where Dabra Melech is conveying to Shlomo that one of the most important aspects of monarchy is the concept ultimately again of lo saguru mipnei ish. Do not be afraid of people. To be a leader, to be a true leader, a leader can't be afraid of people. Why? Again, it makes a lot of sense because people like to yell and people like to scream and people like to complain. And often, again, the more wrong people are, the louder they scream and the more they complain. So again, it's easy to go ahead and kind of get rattled and say, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, which, what, what leaders often hear is something that goes like this, like everyone's unhappy or, or everyone's upset. When you distill it down a little bit, who's upset? The person who's talking to you, right? But, but so, so it's easy to get rattled in leadership positions and go ahead and make wrong decisions because, again, this one's yelling, this one's wealthy, this one's this, this one's that. So, David says, Shlomo, you follow the path of Mishpat, you follow the path of justice. You do what HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands of you to do for the rich, for the poor. All men are created equal. No one carries greater weight in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and therefore no one should carry greater weight in your eyes as well, Shlomo. That's the Radak. That's the Radak. The Malbim, and this is incredible, the Malbim has a totally different approach. Malbim number three says something dramatically different. Listen to what he says. He says, Yadin. So here, here's what the Malbim is picking up on. You see, what's interesting over here is in the English translation, the English is translating Tzedek and Mishpat in the same way, right? If you look at, may you judge your people justly and your poor people with justice. The Radak says, here's the problem. And by the way, the Radak essentially is, is, is translating it in that same way as well. They both mean justice. The Malbim says that can't be true because again, they, bless you, they don't need to use two different words. In other words, either use tzedek. First of all, all you really need to say is yodin amcha tzedek. That's it. But even if you want to go ahead and point out, don't distinguish between rich and poor, either use the same word tzedek in both phrases or the same word mishpat in both phrases. Why do you have to use tzedek and mishpat? So look what the Malbim says, and this is incredible. Number three, he says, ha mishpat hu nimos so this is incredible. Essentially, the Malbim says, Mishpat is objective law. Objective law, right? There's halacha. We have a legal system. The legal system says, if you do this, you're liable for this. And if you do that, you're liable to that. And if you damage this one, that's Mishpat, objective law. But there's something also called Tzedek. Tzedek means subjective application of the objective law. I know that sounds a little bit inherently contradictory, right? But subjective application of the objective standards of the law, that sometimes, sometimes, so a person has to recognize that a particular scenario in life doesn't fit into a box. It doesn't fit into a box. So now I have to use a little bit of subjectivity. Now I have to use a little bit of you would call it seichel, right? right? A, a little bit of just intuition of understanding in order to go ahead and figure out what is the right way forward. He goes on, he says, Shalapamim, yata mikava mishpat, mishpat, lasos lifnim mishuras hadin. Sometimes, now he's talking over here, like even just like in a strict legal sense. Sometimes, sometimes, you have to veer off the straight and narrow path of strict justice in order to go above and beyond the letter of the law, because that's necessary for the particular circumstance at hand. And obviously, this is incredibly subjective. He says, Va'amar, so this is incredible. So, so David HaMelech is telling, is telling Shlomo something dramatically different. So before you even go on, it's telling Shlomo, Shlomo, you're going to be the king. As a king, you're responsible for making different kinds of decisions. And essentially, there are two different buckets of decisions in life. There are mishpat decisions. And mishpat decisions are right and wrong, kasher, treif, tameh, tahar, mutter, asr. And then there are other decisions, tzedek decisions. 
Tzedek decisions are a bit more nuanced. Tzedek decisions aren't just about right or wrong, but Tzedek decisions sometimes require you to be able to see forward, to be a forward-thinking person. Tzedek decisions sometimes require you to look at things from a variety of different angles. A variety of different angles. You know, I'll give you, I want to give you just like an incredible example of this. We're actually doing this in Daf. We had this sugi in Dafyomi a little while ago that in, in this halacha, when you hear it, like it almost like rubs you the wrong way. It looks, so the halacha is like this. Imagine you have the following scenario. Reuven goes ahead and steals an item from Shimon. Steals an item from Shimon. Right? Whatever it is, he steals a cow from Shimon. So what happens? Now, Reuven decides he wants to be about tshuva, and he wants to go ahead and return the cow. I'm going to simplify the, hal- the halacha just because I don't want to get into the, the, the technical details of it right now. Reuven wants to go ahead and return the cow to Shimon. Right? So what's the halacha? Shimon is supposed to say to Reuven, thank you so much for offering me to give the cow, give back the cow. It's okay, you could keep it. Does that look like that? Does that look like that? Chazal instituted that if somebody steals from you, and again, obviously there's a lot of like, there's a lot of caveats. The caveats may be like, you don't need the object, you're fine without it. But there's a concept that you should forgive the theft. Allow the thief to keep the item. Why? So the Gemara calls this takonas hashavim. It's for the benefit of bali tshuva. The halacha, halacha, right, chazal, have a vested interest in people doing tshuva, right? Do people want to do tshuva? Do people, I've asked you, people want to do tshuva, yes or no? What do you say? Yes. Yes. Do people do tshuva? No. No. At a general level, the answer is no, right? So how do you explain that disconnect between people wanting to do tshuva and ultimately most people not doing tshuva? How do you, how do you reconcile that? It's very simple. People want to do tshuva and they're all in until they realize that what? It's difficult. Like most things in life, right? Think about all of the initiatives that you have started and stopped. Why did you stop them? Why did you stop them? It's not because I don't care. It's not because I still decided it's not important. It's simply because it's too difficult. It's too much effort. It's too, I, I just, I just it's, it's not that I can't do it. It's just I'm not interested in expending all that effort. So chill is no different. If you want to know at the end of the day, why it is that so often in life we keep apologizing for the same things? Rosh Hashanah, after Rosh Hashanah, it's the same stuff. Most of us don't really have new lists. Maybe you're one of those people who has like exotic new Averis every single year, right? <laughs> but, but most of us, most of us, it's the same stuff year after year. Come on, so why can't I become Baal Tshuva? Very simple, because it's difficult. So Chazal understood in their incredible wisdom. If you make Tshuva easy, people will do it. You know, the Gemara tells a story that there was once a guy who was a career, a career thief. And he comes home, he tells him, I tell story, he tells his wife, I want to be a Valtshuva. Honey, I was thinking about it, I want to be a Valtshuva, let's turn our lives around. So what does she say to him? She says, Reka. Reka means, essentially, the loose translation is, you're an idiot, right? <laughs> right, 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 why? She says, if you become a and you have to return all of the stuff that you stole, you won't even have a belt to put on. <laughs> what she was saying is, our entire lifestyle is financed by theft. So if you say, it's very nice, right? You heard the drush, you heard the shir, you're all inspired, you went to the NCSY, you know, Shabbaton, you had Avdallah, you had Malav Malav, great, fantastic. You're a fool. Because if you want to be about Shuvah, we have to give back everything we stole, and then we have nothing. And the Gemara says, he didn't do Shuvah. He didn't do Shuvah. And here's why. Because again, here's a guy, he wanted to do Shuvah. But if it's too difficult, I'm not going to do it. So Chazal understood, if you can make Shuvah easy, if you can make tshuva easy, people will do it. Make tshuva easy and people will do it. So again, so that's the takhanas ha'shavin. So now if the thief knows, if the thief, it's a little bit like a setup, right? If the thief knows that if he returns the object, the owner is gonna say, it's okay, you can keep it. It's, it's still embarrassing, right? But it makes tshuva much easier, which by the way, just as an aside, totally not our topic, is an incredible, incredible also concept by human forgiveness as well. If you want to repair relationships, make forgiveness easy. Do you know why so often relationships remain in a state of rupture, right? Because when I wrong someone, I really want to apologize, but I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen, right? I am going to be put through the emotional ringer. 
right? First, we're going to relive the wrong 15 times, right? We're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about it again, and we're going to talk about it again, and we're going to talk about feelings over and over and over, and I'm going to be made to feel worthless, 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 and then after all of that talking and after all of that feelings, I have to think about it, right? So I'm like, forget it, forget it. If you want to mend broken relationships, Make forgiveness easy. Make forgiveness easy. It's what Chazal called Noach Lirzos, a person who forgives easily. Somebody comes over to you, they wronged you, and they ask for forgiveness, they ask for forgiveness, and even if you're not 100% sure if they're genuine, just give it. Just give it. Forgiveness is free, and there's an inexhaustible supply. Right? Just give it. Okay, so let's get back. Let's get back to regular schedule program over here. So therefore, again, the Malbum says... This so for what against this? This takana sashavim. This ability for Chazal to say Reuven stole from Shimon. When Reuven shows up and he gives Shimon, and he wants to give Shimon back the object, Shimon should say no, thank you. Now again, I want to point out there is a biblical obligation, a mitzvah da'oraisa, vehishavasagizela, to return an object that you stole, to return an object that you stole. And yet Chazal understood. Yeah, I know that is a mitzvah, but but it serves the greater need of society to facilitate tshuva, even if the stolen item is not going to be returned. That's what the Malbim would call, that's called tzedek. That's called tzedek. That's the application of the legal system, but yet with a little bit of a nuanced understanding. In a forward-thinking, more globalized approach. He goes on, Va'amar, ki yodin asa'am, so Shlomo, my son, you have to know when to adjudicate things in accordance with strict justice. And you also have to know, right, that's going to be your mishpat. And you also have to know kind of when to use seichel. You have to know kind of when sometimes to relax the standards, relax the rules. Although I don't mean it like that when I say relax the rules. I don't mean it like relax, that's not what I mean. But you have to know how to apply things maybe differently. You know, the beauty of Torah and the beauty of halacha, it's, it's an eitz chayim. It's a living, <coughs> breathing entity. Torah covers every single scenario. And there's a reason why halacha has so many leniencies. Because again, although we can't always rely on them, sometimes in extenuating circumstances, you can pull a leniency. Don't try this at home, but you know, you can pull a leniency from here or a leniency from there. And you can sometimes, a, a, a competent pose could cobble together, could cobble together a hatter for something that may not normally be mutter. Why would he do that? Because he understands that it serves a greater good. That's ultimately, again, what the Malbim says is the tzedek. So it's really quite beautiful. It's really quite beautiful. So again, so essentially what the Malbim says is this is David telling Shlomo, my son, you're going to be the king. And as the king, you're essentially like the chief justice of Klali Yisrael, right? Justice, justice has a trickle-down effect. People are going to look to you to set the example in the creation of a just society. So my son, what you have to learn is how to create a balance between mishpat and tzedek. Mishpat and tzedek. Now, what's incredible about this is, on one hand, mishpat and tzedek, to a certain degree, are exact opposites, right? Mishpat says every situation in life has a defined approach. That's it. There's definition. There's, like we said before, there's right and wrong. There's kosher, there's trade. There's tameh, there's tar. There's light, there's darkness. Everything fits into a box. And Mishpat says, well, sometimes either you have to make the boxes a little bigger, the boxes a little smaller, create some new boxes. So Dub is asking Shlomo to have like these two different, almost like paradigms. These two different ways of viewing the world and the two different ways, ultimately, again, of viewing people. So pause this for a second, and we're going to see that what David is asking Shlomo is actually not novel. This is not novel. This, this, this concept or this dialectic between tzedek and mishpat, or mishpat and tzedek, right? Strict justice, mishpat, and tzedek, nuanced application of legal constructs. This is not new to Shlomo. We actually had this much earlier on in Jewish history. And amazingly enough, 
in this week's parasha. Watch this. So take a look at number four. Take a look at number four. So remember, this week's parasha is Kisisa. The, the, these parashios of Yisro, Mishpatim, Truma, Tetzaveh, Kisisa, Vayakal, Pekudei don't go in chronological order. Because remember again, in parashas Kisisa is the Chet Egel. It's in the golden calf. Even though, again, remember, Sinaitic revelation was back in Yisro and Mishpatim. Right? So again, so we have Chet Egel in the Sith Parashas. And, and that's, that's where we're picking up at number four. So we know the story. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu is up on the mountain receiving the Torah. There is a mistake in the calculation of the days that Moshe Rabbeinu was gone. Kalal Yisrael thinks that he's dead. And in a panic, they build the golden calf. Now, much machlokes, we spoke about this in past years, much machlokes, was the golden calf of Odazara, was it idolatry? Or was it simply meant to replace Moshe in a leadership capacity? So that's a whole dispute, not really material for our, for our purposes tonight. But suffice it to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, quote unquote, sees that Klai Yisrael built the golden calf, and he tells Moshe, I'm done. I'm done. Right? I'm done. This, this, this is it. There, there's no repairing this rupture. There's no fixing. This, is, this relationship is way too broken. We're done. We're done. So number four is Moshe Rabbeinu's response to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's anger. So watch this. So Moshe pleaded. Moshe pleaded with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What did he say? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why so angry? Why so angry? Now, <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu, you could say a lot of stuff. Right? You, 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 could, you could say, you could defend, right? Moshe Rabbeinu, again, was the great defender of Klaal Yisrael. So Moshe Rabbeinu, you could say a lot of things. But to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu why he's angry? You know, you know what Chazal compared? The Gemara Shabbos compares the sin of the golden calf. compares it to a couple who's under the chuppah getting married. And the woman has an adulterous affair with another man under the chuppah. Adultery is always a heinous crime, no matter when it occurs. But under the chuppah, when the relationship is first being forged, first being concretized, to be unfaithful in that moment, so, so Matan Torah, Har Sinai, it was the chuppah. It was the chuppah. Under the chuppah, Kalalisa builds the golden calf. Shabbat says, I'm done. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, why is so upset? Why, 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 why are you so angry? Why, like, almost as if Moshe Rabbeinu can't understand the reaction of the Ribbono Shalom. So take a look at number five. So the Mepharshim struggled to understand, they tried to understand what Moshe was saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So for example, the Medrash number five writes to us, Amr al-Fadr Ribbono Shalom, L'Mitzrayim ha'erachta apecha, velo kilisim maka'achos, so the Medrash said, the Medrash said, the Baruch said to Moshe, right, I'm going to destroy them. Baruch was ready to destroy all of Klal Yisrael in one fell swoop. Moshe Rabbeinu essentially says, Zalofer, the Egyptians enslaved the Jews for 210 years. And the Egyptians got warnings, right? The Egyptians had 10 plagues. The plagues were spanned over a prolonged amount of time. There was warning in between each plague. So for the Egyptians, you gave them plenty of warning, even though, again, it was 210 years of sustained barbaric behavior. And Kalaliso are just going to wipe out at once? That's how the Magistrate understands it. So Moshe isn't really asking, Kashbarahu, why you're angry. I understand why you're angry. I don't understand why you're so like nostril flaring angry that you're willing to wipe them out in one fell swoop when yet when it comes to the Egyptians, you were okay giving them warning and you were okay giving them time to get themselves together. That's the Medrash. But they don't want to draw your attention to something amazing. An interesting machlokas on the Farshim, a dispute between the Kliyakar and the Alshech, six and seven. The Kliyakar says as follows, Tainashniya, he asked, say Now, here's what's interesting. To appreciate the Kliyakar, go back to number four for just a moment, right? So what does Moshe Rabbeinu say? Vaychal Moshe Espenei Hashem al-Kam Vayomer. Lama Hashem yechara apcha ba'amecha asher otseysa me'eretz mitzrayim. So the Kliyakar, the Kliyakar is bothered by a simple idea. Why do you have to add in that phrase, this nation that you took out of Egypt. 
Why, why is there a need to mention that? Well, obviously, we're talking about the Jewish nation. We know ultimately, again, they came out of Mitzrayim. So why the need to articulate that? So the Kviyakar says something amazing. He says like this, middle, number six, number six, middle of the first line. Eretz, melea gilulim shalavod zara, ve'im hispali alehem kolkach, im nispasu acharei hergel. This is incredible. Kviyakar says, what do you want from them? They spent 210 years steeped in an idolatrous culture. They've been out for how long? They've been out for how long? Right? How long? We know exactly how long. 89 days. 89 days, right? 40, right? 40 days. 40, sorry, 49 days of Sfira. Right? And then 40 days at Moshe Rabbeinu was up on the mountain. 89 days, three months. Three months. They're out. So they were in Egypt for 210 years. They're out of Egypt for three months. What do you want of them? What do you want of them? Again, change takes time. You know, it, it's important to understand. I think I mentioned this in, in one of the show a couple of weeks ago. Essentially, when we come to the, to the story of the Jews in the desert, it often like, we're often confounded by this idea that they rebelled so much against HaKadosh Baruch and against Moshe when they saw all the miracles that they saw. So Shem Shnafal Hirsch discusses that he comes up essentially with the thesis that miracles don't work, right? Miracles don't work. Miracles are like fireworks, right? What, what's the lasting impact? You go to watch fireworks, 4th of July, whenever you go, right? What's the lasting impact of fireworks? Lasting impact? Zero, right? <laughs> no, 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 no one's like, you know what? Those fireworks that I saw three days ago, really, like, I, st- I still feel it. I still feel it. I see the bright colors. Like, all right, it's nice. You watch it, right? And it's beautiful. It's beautiful, right? When you're looking at it, it creates a sensational ocular experience. It's fantastic. And then, like, I go home. I go home. Miracles like fireworks, of Hirsch says. I mean, he doesn't use the fireworks example, but, right? Miracles like fireworks. They're fantastic. And when you see them, you're like, ooh, ah. But then at the end of the day, once they're done, they're done. Miracles don't change you. Miracles don't change you. That's why, by the way, if you notice, a lot of times in life, when we undergo, like a person was in a dangerous situation, a dangerous life situation, a health situation, and you know, they, they, we often feel like, oh, now I'm gonna change in such a dramatic way. It's interesting to know, more times, out of, more times than not, that change does not stick. That change does not stick. Because I, but I just, I, I experienced a miracle from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You're right, you did. But miracles don't affect change. You know what affects change? Change affects change. You know, I was saying this, I was saying this to, a, I was speaking to a chassan and he told me he was having some, some shalom bias issues and he couldn't understand, you know, he said, he was talking about everything he does for a shalom bias. He says, I even go ahead and fold up my talis right after Abdullah with my wife in the room. It's a school of Shalom Bayes. I said, first of all, I never heard that one. I haven't heard that one. But I said, I have a better school of Shalom Bayes. Are you nice to your wife? Right? Do you help out in the house? Do you speak nicely? Do you make her feel valued? Does she feel safe and secure with you? You know, we're, we're, we live like in such an age of schoolists, right? Everyone, there's a schooler for everything. And, and schoolists are beautiful, don't get me wrong. But sometimes people replace the process of change with schoolists, as if like the schoolists kind of become like the life hack. It's like the life hack for getting what you want without the effort, right? So do this, wear this, go here, go here, and everything's gonna come together. <coughs> You get a little bit older in life. Schoolists are incredible. You know when schoolists work? Schoolists work when they are accompanied by dramatic life change. So if you're putting in maximum effort and then you couple maximum effort with schoolists, then you're golden. Then you're golden. But schoolists by themselves will get you absolutely nowhere. The school of a change is actual change. So here, so therefore, Moshe, Kliyakar says, Moshe Rabbeinu is saying to Hashem, what do you want? Why are you so angry? It's almost as if Moshe Rabbeinu Baruch like, you're acting so shocked. 
You're acting such a, you know, it's like imagine, right? You leave a, you leave a, you leave a two-year-old in the room with a box of crayons, right? And you come back, you come back, right? And there's a mural on the wall. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't, what? You're shocked? You leave a two-year-old with crayons, they're going to do what two-year-olds do with crayons. I, I, I'm, I'm holding in this parish now only because my grandchildren are staying with us a couple of days. <laughs> I totally forgot about this, uh, this, this parish in life. But Bakshan is beautiful. But like, it's almost as if like, why are you surprised? Why are you surprised that they built a golden calf? That's what they know. 210 years is a very long time. So now they hit a wall, moment of crisis, they panicked, they're only 89 days into their relationship with you, and they have 210 years of history in Egypt. So of course, the default is not going to be to rely on God. The default is going to be go back to what you know. The only school for change is change. And Klal Yisrael, had not really undergone the cathartic process of change. A lot of miracles, a lot of beautiful miracles, but the process of transvaluation, right? The process of real change, the process of self-actualization, it actually happens over the next 40 years, but definitely did not happen in the next 89 days. Yet, look at number seven. Amazingly enough, the al Sheikh says just the opposite. It's incredible. The al Sheikh writes, this is what Moshe is saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hello! Ze'amcha shod se'isa'ach shod me'eretz n'sraim ha'beit u're'eh me'heichan bo'o rak ze'ato. Hello mimakar ha'zu'ama v'agilulam he'miyotzim me'er v'asa'aretz u'malochah son'alem. So watch this. The Alshech says, Moshe says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, look where they came from, but look how far they've come. Meaning what? It's true. They built a golden calf. Okay, got it. You know what else they did? You know what else they did? They said, Nasev Nishma. Nasev Nishma is the greatest statement of divine allegiance, of allegiance to the divine ever uttered in the history, right, of mankind. An entire nation, millions of people essentially saying to Baruch Hu, we're in. What does it mean to be in? What are we in for? We have absolutely no idea, but we're in. So the Al-Sheikh says, the Moshe Baruch I understand that you're upset about the ego, but Ibashim, with all due respect, you're only seeing the ego and you're not seeing the totality of the trajectory of this people. You're allowing your disappointment about the ego to go ahead and blot out the incredible, beautiful accomplishments and, and steps that they have made over the last 89 days. Isn't this incredible, right? So fundamental and the Kliyakar, right? All center on the same thing. Moshe Rabbeinu goes out of his way to say, why are you upset about this people you took out of Egypt? So going to the Kliyakar, Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, what do you expect? Come on. What can you possibly expect from these people? 210 years. I, I'm not surprised at all. I don't know why you're surprised. And frankly, I don't even know why you're upset. This is expected. Al-Sheikh HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You just took them out of Egypt and look how much they've already accomplished. Remember, just take a step back for just a second. When you look at what Klal Yisrael accomplished over the last 89 days, what did they accomplish? Number one, number one, number one, they left Egypt. Remember again, leaving Egypt, just, just understand, they left Egypt and what, what did they leave Egypt with? What did they leave with? Matzah. Right? Matzah. Matzah, right? Right, matzah. Remember again, I don't know, we drive to New Jersey and there's enough food in the car for a small nation, right? It's under three hours, right? And yet millions of people, millions of people ventured into that. It's true they had gold and silver, but gold and silver is not going to feed your family, right? From a food perspective, they left with matzah. What food sources are there in the desert, right? What water sources are there in the desert? So can you imagine you're going ahead, you're taking your family, you're taking your children, you're taking everybody, and suddenly you're going into it. Why? That means you believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You walk through the Red Sea. You know, everybody takes it for granted. The sea is split. That's great. The sea is split now. But no one told you, like, what the counter, like, what's, what's the timing on that, right? In other words, how long is this going to remain split? Kalab Yisrael went through. 
they went to war against Amalek. These weren't soldiers. These weren't warriors. They were slaves. If there's one thing that slaves don't know how to do, it's fight. It's fight because they're subjugated, because they're broken, because they're dehumanized. Yet, when they had to, they took up arms and they defended Am Yisrael. So again, Alsha says, Hashbarahu, take it easy on them. You're only seeing the negative. You're not seeing the positive. According to the Al Sheikh, what Akadish Baruch, what Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to say to Akadish Baruch, was you really need to work on your perspective. <laughs> you need to work on positive perspective. Akadish Baruch, I love you. You're fantastic. I got you. You're the King of Kings, right? Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, all those things. And I don't mean to give you Moser, right? You ever had those conversations? I don't mean to give you Moser, but, right? But it's not Moser, it's, it's what is it? What is it? Constructive, constructive criticism, right? Constructive criticism, right? So I don't mean, but I don't understand. Why are you only seeing things with negative tunnel vision? Why don't you see the rest of the beautiful, holy equation? So according to the Anshik, what's happening over here is Moshe Abedin Baruch Hu, you have to have the power of perspective. You have to have the power of perspective. You know, in, in number eight, Rabbi Nachman writes about, we, we've done this piece before, Rabbi Nachman, it's one of my favorite pieces in, in Lukute Maran. So Rabbi Nachman writes about the concept of, of, right? give everyone the benefit of the doubt. So the way we often talk about that concept of giving people the benefit of the doubt, the Rebbe says is, you see someone doing something, right? So you can take like a, like a paradigmatic example, right? Let's paradigmatic example. You know, you see someone going into a non-kosher restaurant, okay? So you can look at that in one of two ways. Possibility A, possibility A, they're eating not kosher, right? Okay, and so what do you mean when you're down the kafskos? What are they doing? What are they doing? Uh, using the restroom, uh, getting a soda, a bottle of water, a cup of whatever it is. There's... So the Rebbe says, that's fine. What happens if you see someone doing something that can't be explained away? <laughs> now, what happens? I see someone committing an Avera. There's no other explanation. You know, we have a concept. You could be down the kaf schos, not down the kaf shtos. Like, in other words, that, that there are some things that the Avera, I see the person doing it. He's doing an Avera. So how are you down the kaf schos in that case? Rabbi Nachman says something so beautiful. Look what he writes. Number eight, paragraph Aleph. He says, Vidah. So this is something amazing. What does it mean to give someone the benefit of the doubt? It's not sometimes the action that they're doing, I can't explain it away. It's objectively wrong. But even when I see someone doing something wrong, look for something good in them as well. That's what it means, dan lekaf zechos. You see them doing something wrong? Look for something good. Look for something good. The Rebbe goes on, by the way, he says, look at paragraph days. He says, It's not about just judging others. It's about how we judge ourselves as well. Rabbi Nachman's famous statement, A person always has to be in a state of simcha. We spoke about this last week, about simcha, and to drive away sadness to whatever degree possible. So the Rebbe writes, You know, sometimes in life a person can feel so down that when they look inside themselves, they don't find anything good. I look inside and I don't find anything redeeming. The Rebbe says, look harder. Look harder. Because every single person could find something good inside themselves. And the Rebbe says, I ah, maybe you'll find something good, but you're going to see that the good is not perfect. It's okay, the Rebbe says. Just find something good. Dan lekafschos, giving someone else the benefit of the doubt, doesn't necessarily mean being able to read a positive narrative into negative actions. What it means is, if you see the bad in someone, make sure to seek out the good. You see the bad in yourself, Make sure to actively see the good in yourself as well. In other words, what is the Rebbe saying? To exist in this world, to have a relationship with others, to have a relationship with yourself, you have to follow the advice of Moshe Rabbeinu and you have to have perspective. You have to have proper perspective. You have to have proper interpersonal perspective. How do you see people? You know, let's be clear. 
it takes about takes about 30 seconds to see what's broken in another person, right? You know, if, if you're a good student of human nature, within about 30 seconds of conversation, you can absolutely see the shortcomings of a person. You can see it in the way they talk. You can see it in the way they conduct themselves. Maybe not 30 seconds, a couple of minutes, right? Talk enough, talk enough, and especially if you observe their interactions, you'll be able to size them up. To point out each other's failures and frailties, that's easy. But what power of perspective means when it comes to interpersonal relationships is can you find something positive in someone else? Just like in ourselves, sometimes we are so ridiculously hard on ourselves. And if you ask me what my faults are, I can rattle them off in alphabetical order, chronological order, more severe to least severe, least severe to most severe, however you want it, however you want it. What's good about me? You'd be surprised, a lot of us have difficulty really identifying the positivity that we possess. So if a person only sees the negative in themselves, but doesn't see the positive, then there's no proper perspective. The Rebbe says, Dan Kafschus means maintain proper perspective of the other, maintain proper perspective ultimately of yourself. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Kaddish Baruch Hu, you have to have proper perspective of Klav Yisrael. All you're seeing is the eagle, you're not seeing anything else. And interestingly enough, HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually is the one who taught us about the power of perspective. Take a look at number nine. This is all the beginning of Bereshis, actually the end of Parshas Bereshis. This is after mankind begins to experience its downward spiral. So literally again, so the translation of Vayinochem, right? Nechama, Nechama is normally translated as how? Comfort or consoled. So almost as, so what does it mean, Vayinachim Hashem? Hashem had Nechama, did he create a Christ? So Rashi says, Nechama means change of perspective. Which by the way, if you think about it, where does consolation come from in life? You know, when a person experiences loss, consolation is not the pshat that suddenly something new occurred. Something new occurred that now makes me feel better. Ever talk to a person who goes through loss and then Baruch Hashem is to feel consoled? Consolation comes from within. Consolation is not external. Consolation is when a person has a change of perspective. A person suffers dramatic loss, they think life is over. Life is over. And then they slowly realize that what? Life is not over. Life is different for everybody, it's not over. So suddenly again, that change of perspective puts me on a different course. So it's interesting that the Rebbe was the first one that taught us about the change of perspective. Yet by the Egel, by the by the golden calf, Moshe Rabbeinu has to remind him to maintain proper perspective. Rabbi Nachman says, proper perspective is the key to maintaining relationships with others, relationship with the self. And now we come full circle. And now we come full circle. Let's go back to number one. What, when the last moments that we have, what did David say to Shlomo? Like the Malbim said, David said to Shlomo, you have to possess two things. You have to have mishpat and you have to have tzedek. You have to know when to apply strict justice and you have to know when to have tzedek. You have to know when to take the constructs of halacha and apply them in all different kinds of ways, nuanced ways, intuitive ways. Or in other words, what David was saying to Shlomo is, you have to have the ability to change perspective. Life is all about being able to see things from different angles. You have to be able sometimes to see things through mishpat and sometimes to see things through, through tzaddik. You know what the great challenge of life is? Often in life, we choose a perspective, right? And what happens if you choose a perspective? What happens? That's it. We're done here. We're done here, right? I have my perspective. I chose it when I was 20, when I was 30, whenever it was. And that is it. You can't live like that. You can't live like that. Life is all about changing perspectives interpersonally, personally, divinely. It's all about shifting the way we look at life, shifting the way we look at HaKadosh Baruch Hu, shifting the way we look at others, and shifting the way we look at ourselves. Without the power or the ability to change perspective, a person leads a stagnant, non-growth-oriented life. So what David was saying to Shlomo is something so amazing. He wasn't just telling about how to adjudicate cases. You know, sometimes you have to use mishpat and sometimes you have to use tzedek. So father was giving son 
the blessing of perspective. You have to learn how to look at life from different angles. You have to learn how to look at people from different angles. And you have to learn how to look at yourself from different angles. You have to learn how to look at HaKadosh Baruch from different angles. Because only those who are able to experience the ability to change perspective are able to grow and able to succeed with all of the twists and turns in life. If you only have one perspective, that type of perspective rigidity, so it's fine as long as everything fits into that avenue of perspective. But the moment that it doesn't, you're stuck. But if you become a more fluid person who's able to see things from different perspectives, who's able to shift perspectives, sometimes quickly, sometimes gradually, who's able to vacillate between mishpat and tzedek, you know, sometimes in life, think about it on a personal level, sometimes life you have to be rigid, right? This, this you never have to explain to people, right? Sometimes life you have to be rigid. You have to say, you know what? No, this is it. This is what I'll do. This is what I won't do. This is the line I'll cross. This is the line I won't cross. There is a time and a place for rigidity in life. That's mishpat. But there's also a time and place in life for tzedek, for being fluid, for being mobile, for being mavata, for being willing to yield, being willing to give in, not always standing my ground. And to be a successful human being, you need to be able to vacillate between the two. You have to be able to shift that perspective, to go from mishpat to tzedek, tzedek to mishpat, back and forth. HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs to do it. We need to do it for ourselves and for others. And this was the beautiful blessing, with the beautiful advice, but I think ultimately the beautiful bracha that father was giving to son. The bracha that David was giving to Shlomo was the ability, the blessing of the ability to change perspective. Shlomo needed it to be successful in his role, and we needed to be successful in our respective life roles as well. All right, we'll stop over here for tonight. There is no shear for the next two weeks. Next two weeks. So we will, we will continue, Merz Hashem. The next shear we're going to have actually is the week of Purim. The week of Purim. So Tuesday night of the week of Purim, which will be our pre-Purim shear, Merz Hashem. I don't know what it's going to be on, but it's going to be good. Yeah. 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 Have a great night. Yeah.